from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Among the most resource-intensive effects of the COVID-19 pandemic for credit unions were compliance-related requirements. I'm Ron Jose, a senior editor with CUNA News. In this podcast, David Reed, an attorney, consultant, and trainer with the law firm Reed & Jolly, will provide insight on how credit unions can prepare for life in the new normal as pandemic-related considerations redefine the work environment. For credit unions, the top priority should be security and safety for their members and employees, according to Reed. Fortunately, Reed says that credit unions are very good at a critical element of risk management, best practices. There are plenty of modifications credit unions can make collectively to minimize risk. In this interview, Reed shares insight on how credit unions can minimize risk and focus on the member experience in 2021. So, David, what are the biggest compliance considerations related to COVID-19 right now? I would say that the biggest consideration right now has to do with compliance management. And let me tell you why. So, we've been rocked by a set of circumstances you know, that nobody really foresaw. And now our balancing act has changed quite a bit. So, Typically, when our major concerns were, all right, what does our business look like? And what does security look like? And strategic planning, what are we going to look like three to five years down the road with an occasional fire to put out, you know, with regard to some event? Well, now all of our ground rules have been changed. Quite literally, our major concerns now have to do with safety. And and I don't mean safety as in cyber attacks or, or, or physical security. Now, both of those are important, but I mean, Are we going to have a safe environment for our staff to come back to, to continue to work, for our members to come into? What are the minimum requirements that we have to do in order to satisfy OSHA, which has been a regulation that's always applied to us for the most part, but now now it's front and center. So we have to do that as well as all of the other laws, rules, and regulations that cover all of our product services and delivery methods. And that's been a tough balancing act. There's always a threat of the virus within the organization, and you hear CEOs talk about how fearful they are of it. How do you protect your employees? It's interesting because I think this kind of falls to a strong point of credit unions, and that is that general concept of risk management, right? So there's only a certain number of things that we can do with risk, right? So, So typically, we can avoid the risk, which is just walk away. We can share the risk through insurance. We can alter what we do. That is, we can we can take mitigation, you know, techniques, do things differently to lessen the risk, so we're reducing the risk, or we just accept the risk. And right now, when we look at the best way to protect our staff and our members, it's all about risk. Now we have lots of guidance out there, right? And let me just go ahead and say that kind of part of that compliance management system is that instead of drinking from the fire hose, right, monitoring all of the blogs and all of the different information that's coming out 100% of your time, we need to look at the best practices and the guidance. OSHA, CDC, NCUA, lots of different groups, everything from our cleaning companies, potentially to landlords and things like that are putting out guidance. So I think the best things that we can do are 
to enforce the general rules, right? Face masks when applicable. We need to go back and look at our work environment to make sure that we can do social distancing, make sure we can keep people away from already the danger points, right? So overcrowding, eating in group spaces, being in confined spaces together like elevators or stairwells or hallways. So there's lots of modifications that we can make in order to reduce the risk. Now, is it going to eliminate the risk? No. The final piece of that puzzle is going to be this. We need to be smart about training our people, not only about how to interact, but also about the whole screening process, right? Because now we're in a a circumstance that if you have somebody else in your home that may be experiencing symptoms of COVID, then you need to stay home and reevaluate. If you are feeling poorly yourself, if on that screening evaluation, you know, how are you feeling today? Have you been, you know, outside of this bubble? Have you been exposed to anybody? You need to answer truthfully so that we can give ourselves the best shot of containing any potential outbreak. It's a difficult set of things to balance while also doing all these other little things like, ooh, making good business decisions and maintaining cybersecurity and physical security. And, oh, let's go ahead and just throw in, what the heck, serving our members. There's going to be pushback from employees. And how do you handle that? I hate to just fall back on these trendy words and things like that. But in this case, there is a word that I think absolutely applies, and that's transparency. So we need to make sure that employees understand what we're thinking, understand you know, the information that we're looking at. In this case, I go back to you know, the CDC guidance and the OSHA guidance and the solid things that we know, right? I mean, we know that when people start touching things, I mean, I don't know the virility of COVID-19 versus anything else. But I do know if we can reduce the number of doorknobs people need to touch, reduce the number of uh, people that are touching your computer keyboard, if we can keep people at at a socially distanced rate, if we can use uh, physical barriers, you know, the sneeze guards or whatever when possible, those are good things to do. And so we're going to make sure that we have opportunities, not just to brief people, but to collaborate with them. Tell me how you're feeling, Ron. I mean, tell me what your major concerns are. Tell me how you think we could do things differently. So I'm going to do this through focus groups. I'm going to do this through town halls. I'm going to do this through reminders at my credit union. You know, CDC has a whole fleet of different posters that you can download for free that are just common sense things, right? I mean, don't touch your face, wash your hands, don't lick doorknobs. I mean, these are the kinds of things that that our people kind of need to have in front of them. But we cannot underestimate the amount of emotional issues that some people have. I mean, these, again, they they are just unprecedented times, you know, another one of those buzzwords, but we need to be sensitive of that. I do an awful lot of work with boards, strategic planning, as well as training, as well as my hat as a lawyer, right? Looking at all the you know, those compliance issues, Fair Credit Reporting Act, and, and, and all of those other things that are out there. And I have found that bringing up the Kubler-Ross five stages of grief when talking about how to communicate messages during the pandemic with our staff is a great thing. So, you know, it starts out with denial and then goes all the way through acceptance. And I think that's a great model. We need to realize that people are going to be in different spots. and we need to recognize that with another compliance thing, the Americans with Disabilities Act, 
if we have somebody that really fears coming back into the work environment, we need to see, is there a reasonable accommodation that we can make? The compliance term is we need to enter into an interactive dialogue with our staff to find out if there is a reasonable accommodation. So I think those are just some ideas to deal with what we know we're going to have is some natural pushback. How do you protect members? I think a lot of it's the same way. So we let them know what to expect. I mean, already we're telling them, oh, either our lobby is open or it's not open, open by appointment, you know, curbside service. But one of the things that I have said over and over again is this, that some change we absorb because of inspiration. Aha, you know, the heavens part, the angels sing, we come up with that new idea. Other times, change is thrust upon us by desperation. And both can be useful if we analyze it, if we do our risk assessment, if we figure out how to you know, assimilate these particular ideas. But make no mistake that a lot of our members have fundamentally changed how they interact with the credit union, right? I mean, look at how many people are now using internet banking, remote deposit capture, mobile banking. I mean, you know, how many people have now gone with this for everything? as far as their uh, their phone is concerned. So part of it is to show the members that they have alternatives, right? That they don't have to physically come into the office. For the ones that do want to come into the office, again, same kinds of concept we talked about before, social distancing. We make sure that the work environment is as safe as possible. We disinfect on a regular and routine basis. We put up those shields and barriers, both for the staff members' protection, as well as our members. So remember, that may be the only trip your member takes all week is to come to the credit union. But your lobby transaction at your branch, that may be the 30th member that that teller has seen today. So we've got to make sure that we balance that on both sides. And again, transparency. This is what we're trying to do. We're beyond, I think, for the most part, people realizing that they need to use antiseptics, which of course we're going to freely supply, that they need to wear masks in closed spaces, which we're going to freely supply as well. And just like we just talked about pushback from the staff, We need to know, we need to train, maybe even role play. What happens when we get pushback from a member who's going to come in and says, oh, I'm not going to fall for this. I have to wear a mask. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Uh, We need to prepare for that. You know, know, and I'm in the Commonwealth of Virginia. An easy way to prepare for that is simply to train everybody. Says, you know what? We are under a state of emergency and we are under an emergency order from our governor. And our governor said this. Unless you're younger than two years old, if you're inside and not eating or drinking, or you don't otherwise have a condition, you need to be wearing a mask. We're not going to get into what the science says and what this study from here says or that says or how people are changing You know what they're saying from different outlets. All right, We're going to say, this is what the order is. This is our rules for doing business. And we're going to try to be consistent. So the big question putting on your lawyer hat is, how do you protect yourself legally? First of all, there's no way to protect ourselves 100% legally, right? right? There's no way we can say, well, how do we prevent all lawsuits? Because that's just, it's just an impossibility. Now, we can, again, try to have a compliance management system that looks at every element that we're, of what we're doing. Are we acting in a compliant way, in a reasonable way? Are we being consistent? Are we testing it? Are we training it? You know, are we monitoring it and measuring it and all that? So I think by having these adjusted policies, right? Because there's a whole handful of policies that probably a lot of credit unions have put into, you know, um, they've modified their work from home policy, they've modified their pandemic planning, their business continuity, 
They have all kinds of other policies dealing with the ADA implications and you know the monitoring and reporting sick, reporting other people is sick, all of that. So I often say that my number one rule of compliance is this, that it's not enough that we do it. We also have to document it, right? So making sure that your policies and procedures are in order, that you can show that you're training on it, you can show you're trying to be consistent on it. So all of that shows that we're doing our due diligence, kind of our homework. And then what we're going to rely on is the fact that we're being reasonable about it, not perfect, right? We, you know, it's a fallen world. Nothing on this world is perfect. What we can be is reasonable. And I think that that's going to give us the best protection. And if somebody does sue us, we're going to hope that all of the facts come out. So if somebody says, ah, this is the only place I went all month was to, you know, friendly federal credit union. And now I've gotten sick. Okay. My goodness. We're so sorry about that. However, this is what we do. This is what we do every hour. This is what we do every night. This is what we do every morning. And all of that, hopefully, first of all, is in the best interest of our membership, like our mission statements say they should be. But also, it protects our employees. It protects our members. It protects their families. It protects the community. And if somebody you know, wants to challenge that, then we have to kind of open the books, if you will, and show what our process is. What is the board's role at this time? The board's role at this time is exactly the same as every other time. When you look at either the state or the federal model, the general direction and control of a credit union rests with its boards. So the board is not making the day-to-day tactical decisions. What they're doing is, in addition to monitoring the safety and soundness, the balance sheet, what's our net worth like, and our ROA and all of that, they're also monitoring, all right, Tell us what the current situation is, right? So the NCUA is giving us all these notices. All these different people are giving us notices. And the NCUA is basically going to say, okay, CEO, tell us how we're managing through this. What are we doing in addition to looking out for the business interest and our strategic interest and managing all of these other traditional risks? Tell us what we're doing right now. And if there is an explosion, an outbreak or something like that, tell us how we're going to manage it. Tell us how we're going to try to limit the risk of it happening again. Just like if we have a bad exam or a bad audit or declining financials or a lawsuit or a thousand member complaints, all of those, again, should go up in front of the board's viewfinder for them to ask the management how we're doing. When I'm wearing my strategic planning hat, one of the things, you know, and I always say that as strategic planning, it's the easiest job ever because I just want to find out who the credit unit is and then take them where they want to go and then provide them a structure to do that. Right now, I've cautioned people. I said, you know what? Typically, you know, I'll go three, four, five years in the future to look over that horizon. But right now, that horizon is awfully cloudy. So I only want the board to look like over the next 12 to 18 months. And so their viewfinder is a little bit more narrow. But their focus is, again, the same, general direction and control of the credit union, looking at the strategy and then getting their information from multiple sources, right? Examination sources, audit sources, personal experience, complaints, the supervisory committee, but mostly, of course, from management and staff. What are the key considerations for a remote working policy? What bases do you need to cover there? This has been one of those things that's been evolving, right? Because even though credit unions have been required to have a pandemic planning policy, we always remember when that was put in 15, almost 20 years ago, swine flu and all of that. You know, and remember, pandemic planning policy was what happens if your staff isn't able to come in? 
Now, then there was also business continuity, which had a lot of different evolving points because even before 9-11, when there were some huge issues in the communication networks and things like that, even before that, there've always been storms and tornadoes and fires and oops, that's what that button does, kind of business continuity planning. But now we have the fact that pretty much every financial institution is having to deal with the fact that instead of having 20% of your workforce work at home, now suddenly you have 80%. Now it's kind of highlighted everything. A lot of things that were just kind of general practice now have to be in a policy. So let's just take it not in uh, an exact order, but like number one is, of course, security. So, I mean, I have worked with some credit unions. They said, oh, we want your help with this policy. And I said, okay, that's great. So talk to me about how you're doing this. So how are you maintaining cybersecurity? Well, you know, we don't know. Uh, And I said, well, all right, well, what computers are they using? Oh, well, fortunately, almost all of our family had a computer at home. Okay, so like a child's computer or or a PC, yeah. So how are you making sure that that's patched? How are you making sure that that's in a secure location? How are you making sure that all of these other things that are required to maintain security in the internet of things, how are you doing that? Oh, well, right now we just want them to plug in and and get back to work. Because what we really want to do is make sure we have production. So the number one thing is, you know, how do you maintain that cybersecurity? How do you make sure that people are on good equipment with good patches? How do you make sure that they are able to understand all of those security requirements that used to take place at work that now take place from home? And on that, I will just tell you that many cybersecurity experts, and I'm not one, right, but I speak the language a little bit. I've heard people say that upwards of 90%, 90% of the risk of a data breach is because of poor patch management and social engineering. Right, patch management just means if Microsoft finds out that there's a vulnerability, boom, they send out a patch. This will plug the hole. So we got to put those into production as soon as possible. Social engineering means that somebody wants to utilize one of your employees to give somebody unauthorized access. So we have to make sure that we cover those. And then from there, these policies have to cover, all right, when are you going to be on your computer? Uh, Who else is going to have access to your computer? If you're going to be video, then um, what kind of background should you have? What's the dress code? What do you do for lunch or breaks or things like that? I mean, all of these things that we somewhat took for granted, or we had policies that were kind of in the background, if you will, when everybody was working in the same spot and visible from everybody else, including their managers. Now we have to see what does that look like when the person is at home alone or worse yet, if they are home with their spouse and young children and cats and dogs and ferrets and all the other things. So there are a number of different places out there that talk to you about the different types of remote work policies that you need to have. And this, by the way, is not only for your staff, but also remote attendance at board meetings. It talks about what we need to do to maintain security as well as production. So there's probably a fleet of about six or eight different policies that need to be tweaked or created, and then they need to be disseminated. Many of them are changes in what we expect from our staff, right? There may be changes in our employee handbook, because if somebody doesn't follow the policy, then not only are they going to be coached and counseled, but it's possible that there could be continuing disciplinary action, right? Which uh, up to suspension or termination. So we have to make sure that we can say, oh, the staff got the policy, they were trained on the policy, given opportunities to ask questions, 
And then, uh, you know, progressive disciplinary action was only taken after there were repeated violations. So you really need to create like a level of uniformity throughout with this remote working policy. And obviously that security factor takes priority. Absolutely. I mean, it's security above all else. And remember, Part 748 of NCUA rules and regulations applies to every credit union. So whether you're federally chartered, that is a federal credit union, federally insured through the National Credit Union Share Insurance Fund, and even if you're privately insured, your contract with your insurer is probably going to say that you're going to, it's going to mirror that same language. You have to have a written security program that takes care of all of these things. Well, the physical security of your members and your staff, that's part of that. Now, we used to think before that had to do with a robbery or some type of physical threat internally, right? You know, you have a family member or a uh, an actual employee or former employee that comes into the workplace and, and commits some act of violence. Well, now we have a pandemic. Is somebody going to come in and bring in COVID-19? So absolutely, security. And then once we've mastered that, or at least as close as we can in this realm, then we have to go about the business of doing what we've always doing, which is serving our members' financial needs. So communication is vital here with everything. I mean, from the, the remote working to the safety And you talked about the documentation. How do you communicate everything to employees? I mean, who in the organization writes and safeguards the big book of COVID? And how do you deliver? What's the delivery channel for that book of COVID? First, I'm going to say the big book of COVID has a number of different chapters in it. So ultimately, who's responsible for compiling that book is the board of directors. Now, who writes each chapter? Well, That's up to the CEO and their staff. Now, I will tell you right now that I have been working through CUNA, through other organizations, through lots of different credit unions, even through different examination groups, that is, you know, State Departments of Financial Institutions and things like that, uh, literally since March and looking at, at all the practical issues as well as technical issues. And to a great extent, a lot of this is probably going to be housed within your HR your marketing, and your compliance areas. So first, HR. HR has always handled staff communications. How do you communicate that we have a new health plan? How do you communicate that there's been a change in our 401k? How do you communicate that Friday is going to be Jeans Day, provided you donate $5 to a charity of your choice? All of these things, right? And we add on to that, that they have been forced, if you will, to suddenly become well-versed in pandemic planning, business continuity, COVID, OSHA, CDC, all of that. And how they communicate is, of course, dependent on what their workforce looks like, right? So if you're going to put this on the bulletin board of every branch, you're going to miss a lot of your staff that never come in anymore. First thing you have to do is you have to inventory. Inventory who does what and from where. Who does what and from where? So obviously, you're going to be using email a lot more. You're going to be using the internet a lot more. You're going to be using maybe even text messaging. You're going to be using maybe the chat feature on your core processor to the extent that everybody's on the core processor to try to reach people where they are. And again, same with members. I mean, hey, having signs in your branches is great. Having a billboard out in front, wow, that's even better. But now being able to push messages to people through email, through secure banking channels, right, where there's a screen they have to pass through, messages on your statements, messages on your website and all of that, that's going to be important. 
what are the other parts of this? So amongst the other players are going to be compliance. Well, now we have to make sure that we understand that if suddenly we take all of our compliance energy, if you will, and focus it 100% on COVID, well, are our real estate loans compliant? Are our disclosures compliant? Is RDC fully compliant? All of that. Is this something that we have overlooked some of the basic longstanding rules by virtue of the fact that we have all of these other things that are piled on top? Again, not in lieu of the old rules, but in addition to. And many of these, very few of our old rules, really, if any, have been waived. Most things that have been waived have to do with safety and soundness, right? Hey, if you want to give a forbearance agreement or do a modification by someone that has or may have been, I love that. This, this is right from the FFIEC, copied by the NCUA. You can work with a member who has or may have been impacted by COVID. Boom, forbear their loan. You know, stick it forward six months or 12 months. You know, They haven't come back and said, oh, Reg Z doesn't apply. Fair lending doesn't apply. You know, Humda and RESPA, they don't apply. You know, all of those still apply. Fair Credit Reporting Act, you know, there's additional requirements on that, not not fewer requirements on that. So I would say that the two biggest people are going to be, I think, HR, I think uh, compliance. And then I, I throw in marketing because marketing kind of helps us add that spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. And remember, not just to our external members, but also to our internal members. How do we get that interactive, collaborative communication going that we can find out what are your major concerns? What do you think we can do better? Tell me what you think is a good idea. Do you want to do Zoom happy hours? Do we want to have uh, some opportunity where we can get your branch together, socially distant, that you can just talk? You know, because we're not going to be able to do a potluck, you know, for an extended period of time. You're not going to be able to get around and hug everybody and all of that. That's not what we're going to be able to do. So marketing sometimes can help that. So again, it starts with the board. It goes to the uh, you know senior management. And then from there, HR, compliance, marketing. I think are going to help us get that message out, utilize the right delivery channels that are going to hit people. And again, recognizing that those delivery channels have changed substantially over the last 10 months or so. So last question, what does the post-COVID workplace look like? And let's compare it with the pre-COVID workplace. So to the extent that, you know, Uncle David has a, uh, has a crystal ball, I go back and I think about these things. I'm not one who's always been comfortable with change. Now, I try to force myself out of my comfort zone because you have to. You have to evolve. George Santa Anna, the Spanish philosopher, spent most of his time in the U.S., but George Santa Anna is the one that said, those who do not understand the past are condemned to repeat it. So we learn our lessons, we move forward. And I overlay that with this. How long does it take us to gain a new habit? And typically, I think they say 21 days. And, you know, that's just whoever they you know are, they say that. So now we are at months and months and months of this. And let's face it, we're not going to go back to whatever the new normal is until there's a vaccine. It does not appear from what we know right now, unfortunately, that COVID is going to ebb and flow, right? I think most of us were thinking in March, oh my goodness, we're going to be hit hard. It's going to go away in the summer because the flu always does. Sun comes out, it, you know, flu germs burn up. And then I can remember silly me thinking, oh, and, and then now we have to prepare for the boomerang. Well, there's been no boomerang. You know, it's kind of been up and up and up and up. So when there is a new normal, whatever ushers that in, we are going to be 
at a credit union, first of all, and fundamentally, that is still focused on the member. Let's get the white hat dusted off again. We are cooperatives. We are the only financial player that is owned by its members. Our mission statements probably indicate that we exist for the financial benefit of our members. So that stays the same. Now, how we serve the members is going to be up to the members, right? We got to meet them where they are. It's going to be much more remote. So, you know, that debate of BRICS versus clicks. I'm not saying we're going to go away from BRICS, which is our branching strategy, but certainly we've moved more into clicks. And again, all lots of these changes were happening anyway. I mean, my goodness, you literally cannot pick up a soda can without looking and seeing that there are other sources for financial services, whatever they are. Automated payment systems, you know, different groups that are getting into banking, whoever it is, your insurance company, your your taxi company, whatever it is. So fintech continues to play into that. What our branches look like, again, it's going to be dependent on that and dependent on what the virology of this looks like. I mean, a lot of people spend a lot of time coming up with different branching concepts. Ooh, we're going to share this desk amongst three people, and then we're going to go let them sit in an egg or in a phone booth or you know, sit on a couch with like six other people to talk about things. Well, if there's a fully effective vaccine and this thing doesn't continue to mutate and all of that, maybe that will come back again. But right now, the back office operations are going to have to recognize the potential for that risk of spreading this. And then we look at the other types of impact. What does this do to us emotionally, psychologically, socially? Let me just throw out this concept. Whenever you're out and you see somebody that you haven't seen in a while, and I'm talking about other than family, we tend to wave a lot of things, good and bad around our family. But when did you stop thinking about offering up a handshake immediately? When did you stop thinking, oh my gosh, there's somebody I haven't seen for a while. I'm going to give them a hug. When did you stop thinking that? Chances are you probably have. You know, I don't know when the last time somebody offered their hand to me. It's been a while. So what is it going to look like? It's going to look like wherever your membership, your size, your complexity, your strategy, and the state of the world, it's going to look like all of those things have had a say in it. If we come back from the other side and all you're doing is going back to where you were 12 months ago, that is a strategy that is doomed to failure. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio.